Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up to Matthew 5, verses 10 uh, through 12 this morning. Do you join me in prayer as we invite God to lead us here? Father, thank you for this morning. Father, thanks for allowing us to gather here together in peace, God, freely, uh, Lord, to, to not only come together from all walks of life, but to, to gather under the umbrella of your church, God, that we are just one local body of the global uh, church, God. Thank you for that. Lord, as we were able to celebrate and remember you and the sacrifice that, that Jesus made um, this morning at the Lord's table, God, thank you for that. God, as we're going to dive into uh, a couple verses that, that are hard this morning, Father, I ask that you would um, give us peace in our relationship with you. Father, that you would allow this time to be a time of encouragement. Uh, God, this would be a time of, of nourishment to our souls, God, that we would be filled this morning by the opening of your word. God, this time would be a time where um, maybe some of us who, who are just checking things out would, would ponder who you really are and the salvation message that's been shared. God, I ask that you would allow your spirit to dwell here this morning. God, that you would not only lead what's said this morning from stage, but that you would prompt and you would poke and prod our hearts, God. That you would allow us um, to truly examine ourselves as we move forward from today. God, thank you so much for this time together, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Today marks the final beatitude in our uh, short series here in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're going to notice a shift in language this morning, and perhaps this may be the most difficult topic that Jesus covers in his short list that we've been studying. You see, persecution is not exactly the most comforting topic it's especially not something that's easy to think about, let alone preach about. And yet today, 322 Christians are not only persecuted, but killed for their faith each month. 214 churches and church properties are destroyed each month globally. And 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians globally which includes beatings, abductions, rapes, arrests, and forced marriages each month. And perhaps when you think about persecution, you think about our brothers and sisters in Iraq, or Syria, or Iran, or Egypt, Afghanistan, Somalia, or North Korea, and we are right to think about them. Perhaps you think about the stories in Scripture, in Acts, chapters 5, 6, or 7, when the number of disciples of Jesus are multiplying and the church is exploding, and a man named Stephen is seized, and he gives an account for what he believes, and he walks the Old Testament, or he walks the high priest and the mob who's mad at him through the Old Testament, bringing us not only through the history of God's people, but to a man named Jesus. And how dare a man named Stephen think he knows more than the high priest. And yet Stephen 
proclaims in Acts 7, verses 51 to 53. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you've now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And of course, this made the mob angry, right? He just insulted them dearly, and they took Stephen on the outside of town, and they threw rocks at him until he died. The first Christian martyr. And you would be right for thinking about that situation. But today, as we look at the three remaining verses of the Beatitudes, we can see clearly that Jesus isn't only looking at the cases ending in martyrdom. Jesus ends the Beatitudes with this, Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now many of you may remember last week's sermon, last week's beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, and it is immediately followed up by the encouragement in persecution. And I'm not convinced this is totally by accident. You see, I'm convinced that Jesus knew that when we, like last week we discussed having both feet planted, not one foot in each camp, but totally sold out for Jesus, all in for Christ, living righteously is a natural consequence, and the peacemaker in Christ isn't always welcomed by the world. You see, the same Christian that is called to be a peacemaker is called to holiness, and to call others to that same holiness, and to the God that is himself holy. And yet, as Pastor John Piper reminds us in a sermon about this same beatitude, he says this, if you cherish chastity, your life will be an attack on people's love for free sex. If you embrace temperance, your life will be a statement against the love of alcohol. If you pursue self-control, your life will indict excess eating. If you live simply and happily, you will show the folly of luxury. If you walk humbly with your God, you will expose the evil of pride. If you are punctual and thorough in your dealings, you will lay open the inferiority of laziness and negligence. If you speak with compassion, you will throw callousness into sharp relief. If you are earnest, you will make the flippant look flippant instead of clever. If you are spiritually minded, you will expose the worldly mindedness of those around you. You see, obedient as Christ's followers seems to automatically put us at odds against the mainstream culture, doesn't it? And verse 10 tells us that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now it's important to look at this and, and the rest of the other Beatitudes carefully. Uh, For some, this may look like a nice to-do list, a checklist that allows us access to God. 
That if we perform well, God will somehow welcome us in. Uh, All we need to do is be righteous. There's just one problem with that, of course. We just can't be righteous. See, the prophet Isaiah reminds us that we have all become like the one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf in our iniquities, like the wind, they take us away. So we have to ask, how can we become righteous? How can we live righteously? How can we be persecuted for righteousness' sake if we are unclean and our righteous deeds are like polluted garments? I think we need to keep reading to the next verse. The thing that Jesus says next in verse 11 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You see, the righteousness that Jesus is speaking of is the righteousness that only he gives. As Christians, we understand that we're, we're born into sin. You see, David in Psalm 51.5 says, in, in, in sin did my mother conceive me. In iniquity did my mom conceive me. And there is no righteousness. We're not born righteous. We're not born as good people. You see, the problem is we're born into sin, and we have a real issue because sin isn't just this little bit of concern with us and God. It is a, it is a, a rebellion against God, and it separates us. Not just a little bit, a lot of bit eternally and the problem is is we can't do anything to earn back that righteousness and in fact there's a lot of people in the world who try so hard to just do enough to just be enough to just give enough to somehow bridge that chasm that we can't do righteousness that we're talking about here comes from christ alone his life his death his burial his resurrection You see, me as a sinner, I can't do enough. I can't be enough. I can't behave well enough for God to say, you're good. Instead, I need to put my faith in Christ, the perfect sacrifice, who bled and died on a cross, was buried, rose again, so that I could somehow have eternal life through faith in his sacrifice. And when I put my faith in Christ, when I was 13 years old in 2000, I was able to then be declared righteous. Not because of what I did, but because of that saving faith in Christ, that sacrifice. So now this righteousness that I'm seeking after is not my checklist, to-do list of how good I am. It's this this imputation, this righteousness that put in me, that changes me from the inside out. And it's, it's not me working hard. It's God working inside of me. So my life looks different. You see, the righteousness that that God is talking about here, that Jesus is talking about here, is not a self-righteousness. It's a righteousness that comes from him. This righteousness that Jesus is speaking about isn't really our righteousness at all, which means that people aren't actually attacking the individual Christian. They're attacking something greater. And we can't miss the obvious here. You see, this one verse here changes the entire sermon on the mount. Jesus and all the other Beatitudes gives a seemingly open-ended and potentially ambiguous example, whether it being poor in spirit or those who mourn, meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart or peacemakers. But here Jesus qualifies it. He qualifies 
this phrase, with this one little phrase, on my account. Blessed are, blessed are, are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You hear Jesus is saying, things are going to happen to you, Christian. My disciples, bad things will happen because of me, because of who I am, because of what I will do and what I will ask you to do. Jesus here says, these things are going to happen to you on my account. And Jesus has moved from third-person point of view to second-person point of view, which carries out through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And this matters because up until now, perhaps, what Jesus was saying was comforting. And maybe it was a hypothetical situation to some. Maybe they weren't in the process of mourning at the time. Or maybe, maybe they, they felt like they were, they were meek. I don't know. But with this one little change in language, blessed are you, it's letting the listener know that they truly are following Christ. If we are truly following Christ, this pertains to to them. This pertains to us. I think it's important to look at what kind of persecution Jesus is talking about here. As I said earlier, when we think about persecution, it is fair and right to think about the martyrdom in their time and in our time. I believe Jesus is speaking about that, and I think we can see that in the next verse. But as we can see from this verse, in verse 11, it's not only about those situations. You see, Jesus tells his listeners here today, uh, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. That word revile is not a word we use very often today. Um, the word is defined as making a fierce or abusive attack verbally on someone or something or to use insulting or abusive language. Perhaps we can recall in our own lives times when people did not treat us fairly because we were Christians, whether that was a verbal attack or a snarky comment. A time in life when, when we felt abusive verbal attacks based on who we were as believers. And he says this word persecute. And there's really two, two ways to look at this persecution, either systematically subject a race or a group of people to cruel and unfair treatment because of their ethnic origins or religious beliefs, or this idea of pestering uh, to make someone the victim of continual pestering or harassment. As a, as a youth pastor, a student ministries pastor, the number of students I talk to each school year who, who try to take a stand in their faith to do the right thing because of what Jesus is doing in their life, it, it seems to be growing it seems that, the, that students are pestered more and more for taking a stance for their faith. Perhaps you experience the same thing at your workplace or a family holiday. And this is the kind of thing that infuriates us, right? It's the kind of thing that we see on the news, this, this persecution across the world. Or maybe we struggle in America to be desensitized because it's just another news story. It's the kind of thing that we just get down about, so perhaps we just turn off the news or, or we stop following that specific news station on our feed. Or maybe we sign a petition online or donate our time or resources to the cause. Or maybe we pray for the people that we've never met because we know that their pain is real. And yet Jesus says for the believer who goes through persecution, 
that they are blessed. They're blessed. He says, when they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, and now we've moved from actions to words, uh, from, from physical attacks to uh, slander and lying. Those are the same people who would eventually, the listeners are the same people who would eventually be mocked for following a false prophet. Uh, they, they would be accused of incest because they called each other brothers and sisters in Christ, and yet they would get married and start families. These were the same people that would be called cannibals for doing the same thing we did here this morning, that they would partake in the Lord's table, referring to it as the body and blood, the bread and the wine as symbols. But the people who didn't understand, they would mock. They would speak evil falsely against them. And all the way up to today, there are stories of Christians being accused, blamed, and punished for falsehoods. And yet, in the middle of these difficult words, there's a comfort. You see, Jesus is letting the crowd of the disciples know um, who he is. When he says, on my account, he's elevating himself. as to say, these are happening because I am God. You see, people are not persecuted because they are following some person. They're not persecuted for just believing in some guy. They are persecuted because they are following and living for God. And Jesus has now said, people will persecute you because of me. And Jesus, sometime later in his ministry, would tell his disciples, uh, we find this in John 15, verses 18 to 20. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. These words were true for the disciples back then. And the words are true for disciples today for you and I. Walking with Christ is not always fun. And the truth is, is somehow things have gotten twisted with, with some folks that if I put my faith in God, if I follow Christ, if I become a Christian, life gets easier, life gets better, the financial burden will be less, or God will bless me in different ways and I'll have, to, I'll have less stress. And yet what we see in scriptures for the Christian, that simply isn't the case. There's no promise of rewards here on earth. But there is rewards in heaven. See, verse 12 says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This may be the most difficult and confusing part about what Jesus has preached so far. To rejoice and be glad in the midst of persecution we just spoke of. This idea of rejoicing and be glad. We can rejoice and be glad when life is going really, really well. Maybe for some of us, we're in a season of just of amazing blessing. We just feel like life is good, it's smooth sailing, and for whatever reason, it's just easy to wake up in the morning and be alive. And yet, perhaps for some of us, we're in a rut. Maybe things aren't going so well. Maybe we're in a season of, of blah. 
And yet what we see here is that persecution and, and, and struggling to live out your faith on, in any situation, it doesn't pick and choose whether or not you're in a good season or a bad season. Uh, what we see here is that it, we have to get beyond these circumstances and that when trials come, when persecution comes, when, uh, when you're lied about, when things are happening to you on account of your faith in Christ, that we are to rejoice and be glad. Not because of what's going on right here, right now. Not because it feels good to be persecuted, but rather because our eyes are beyond the situations. We look to heaven to see a reward. You see, the, the funny thing about persecution is it's an accelerant for the gospel. And it seems throughout history and today that the more people try to contain the gospel, that they, they kill people to, to shut them up, or, or, or Christianity is made illegal. The gospel just spreads quicker and faster and more fiercely. Persecution allows fertile soil for the kingdom, for the gospel. And Jesus reminds the believer that persecution comes at a cost, but it also acquires a reward. You see, um, salvation is our ultimate reward. But scripture talks about here in some other places that for the believer, living a life of obedience, living life uh, faithfully to Christ, somehow there, there's benefits on top of, of that. And so scholars agree and disagree in certain parts. And I don't want us to, to get caught up in the, that word reward and think, well, if I just do enough, I have salvation. It's no, no, no. When we have salvation and we're faithful to our Savior, there seems to be extra blessings down the road, not here on earth but in heaven. And ultimately, we know that any reward or, or, or crown or jewel in our crown that, that we receive, we're going to be laying at the feet of God anyways. It's not about us. It's to love God with every fiber of our being, no matter what the circumstance. And he says that great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we have to ask, how were the prophets persecuted? Well, Hebrews 11, it says this. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, referring to the prophets, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lying, lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Those are comforting words, huh? They understood that being obedient to God, being obedient to the message, was way more important to their own life. And they lived for something so much greater than the breath in their lungs, which they understood was a gift from God. They lived with such passion and zeal because they knew that the greatest reward was not living here on earth. Their greatest, greatest reward is to be found faithful before their God. 
You see, a short time later, after these words were preached, Jesus would, would die, and he'd be buried, and he'd resurrect, and the church would explode numerically. Lots of amazing things happened at the beginning in the early church. But one thing that I think caught a lot of people by surprise was that Jesus did not leave and just come back. We're still waiting for Jesus to come back. So people started to die. And the only apostle whose death the Bible records is James in Acts 12. And King Herod had James put to death with the sword, likely a reference to beheading. And as we walk through quickly how these disciples died for their faith, we're going to see that, that life was difficult. The end of their life was difficult, but they understood the reward that was before them. You see, Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia, likely killed by a sword wound. John faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge basin of boiling oil during a wave of persecution in Rome, and yet he was miraculously delivered by death, from death, and uh, was sentenced to the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. Legend says that Apostle John was later freed to return uh, to what is modern-day Turkey as he died as an old man, the only apostle to, to die peacefully. James, the brother of Jesus, uh, was a leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was thrown from the southeast pinnacle of the temple over 100 feet down where he refused to deny his faith in Christ. When they discovered that he survived his fall, he continued to preach while his enemies um, beat him to death. The story goes on and on. There's so many, so many people who are faithful to the message, who died a death uh, for Christ. One commentator writes this, it's not so important how the apostles died. What is important is the fact that they were all willing to die for their faith. If Jesus had not been resurrected, the disciples would have known it. People will not die for something they know to be a lie. The fact that all of the apostles were willing to die horrible deaths, refusing to renounce their faith in Christ, is tremendous evidence that they had truly witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the question is, what do we do with a text like this? What do we do with this, this potentially feeling doom and gloom message except the fact that it's not doom and gloom when we realize that our temporal existence is not the end goal? As we think about what Jesus' words said, what he said is that we're, the ones who are persecuted are blessed. They're blessed. And not blessed because of comfort. They're blessed because they're found faithful in the eyes of God. They're blessed we're blessed because of the reward that's before us, that's bigger than the life that we have here today. Some final thoughts on this. is one, we are promised to have suffering. We're promised to have persecution and bad things happen to us. In 2 Timothy, uh, verses th uh, verse 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, secondly, we are in good company. Remember, the prophets were persecuted. The early church was persecuted, and ultimately Jesus is our example. And he was persecuted to the point of giving up his life at the hands of those he offended. If we are persecuted, we indeed are in good company. We are told in other parts of Scripture, especially here, to rejoice. In all seasons and circumstances, rejoice. 
The details of our lives change, but our God doesn't. We cannot find comfort, or we can find comfort in him truly. Now, maybe we're struggling because we think we're not really dealing with a lot of persecution here in North America. And I think if we look at the, the, the text, we can see that even though maybe a lot of, there's not a martyrdom in North America, maybe perhaps we do struggle with, with, with the things that are said, the actions that, that are taken against us at times. I think for the believer, it's important for us to ask ourselves, are we being pushed around and persecuted out of, for righteousness' sake, the righteousness that comes from him, or self-righteousness? I think a good thing for us as believers is to, is to really examine our own hearts, is when we are doing things, when we are, are saying things and defending our faith, our motives matter. I think as believers, if, if the whole purpose of us uh, telling people um, what we believe is to help them understand the gospel truth out of love and out of a concern for their well-being, I think we're on par. I think Jesus here doesn't say is defend the right thing just because it's the right thing or defend the right thing out, out of some other motivation. So as, as believers, to remember his words that when we are persecuted, for righteousness' sake, we're persecuted uh, when others revile and persecute us for all kinds of evil falsely on Jesus' account, that we ought to rejoice and be glad, for our reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets before us, before the disciples, and we are in good company when we find ourselves facing persecution. Let's pray. Father, this is a, a topic that's not easy to talk through. It's not easy to think about. And Father, we know that as we are gathered here this morning, there are people facing all kinds of trials around this world, God. We know that sin is real. And we know that there are a lot of people who, who are concerned for their lives, for their safety, for their children. God, may we be motivated to pray for our uh, brothers and sisters around this world. God, may we, be, may we be ones who would stand up for what is right and, and, and defend our faith well. God, that we would live differently. God, that by us following you, God, by us putting our faith in you and, 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 and um, allowing you to be Lord of our life, that our lives look different. God, that people would notice. And God, when times come that people notice that and try to hurt us or, or offend us or, or say all kinds of things about us, that we would be found faithful to your gospel. God, may we not waver in times of hardship. God, when we find ourselves backed up against the wall, that we would just cling to you. God, that you would give us the hope and peace that only comes from you. Father, we ask that you would embolden us, God, to not only proclaim the good news, but to live our lives well for you. So God, may we look to the prophets, may we look to the disciples of the early church, God, the martyrs of the faith, and God, may we be thankful for the days you've given us and trust you with the number of days you've given us. 
God, may we be found faithful in your sight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.